0: Before there was police, there were slave patrols. Gotta keep the enslaved enslaved. Create a system to to benefit. Doesn't matter if you're young or old. Can't let nobody escape. Stay a slave in the land of the free, home of the brave.
1: Welcome to Things Just Got Spicy, the all-inclusive political poetry podcast on Allegheny College's campus in Meadville, Pennsylvania. Every other week, we will discuss current and ongoing political, social, and economic issues. Each Hot Topic will be followed by a poem, written and performed by the week's special guest. My name is Binti Fofana, and I am your host. This week's Hot Topic is police reform and if we should defund the police. There are three underlying causes to police reform. One, the police professionalism movement in the early 1900s, Two, the emergence of modern technology, and three, the civil rights movement. Police professionalism is the belief that it is the government's responsibility to improve the living conditions of citizens. The movement sought to reform the inefficient and corrupt police agencies that had developed during the 19th century with the ultimate goal of eliminating political influences and hiring qualified leaders. During the mid-20th century, new technologies also had a significant influence on policing. The two-way radio, the patrol car, and the telephone revolutionized policing. This significant change in technology had an essential impact on how citizens could access policing services and the supervision of police personnel. The primary goal of policing is to protect society's integrity against threats. During the civil rights movement, the focus shifted from criminal threats to civil disorder and instillability. Fast forward to the 21st century, the focus is still on civil disorder and instability. This focus has influenced the increase in police brutality. For example, in May of 2020, the killing of George Floyd, an African-American man who was murdered by a police officer in Minneapolis, Minnesota, brought to light the failure of police rehabilitation and the emergence of the Defund the Police movement. The purpose of the Defund the Police movement is to redirect police funds to community health, safety, and economic programs in order to better communities. Some argue that community leaders or mental health workers should respond to disturbance calls instead of the police, while others argue that defunding the police will result in poor training and less training. Our special guest this week to discuss this hot topic with us is Abdi Lagundi. Abdi is the CEO and founder of Young Born Leaders, formerly Young Bantoon Leaders. He is currently a senior at Allegheny College and majoring in History and Communication Arts. He started YBL about two years ago in 2018 with hopes of providing educational and mental support to Somali Bantuan youth in his community. He rebranded the program in 2020 and renamed the program Young Born Leaders in order to ensure inclusiveness. He has developed a full board and is very excited for programming and incentives this year. He was also the former president of the Somali Bantu Association of Pittsburgh and the Islamic Culture Association at Allegheny College. Please give a warm welcome to Abdi. Before you perform your poem, please give us insight into the thought process that went into writing this poem.
0: When I was writing, or thinking about writing Police, I kind of just like went into it. And um, I was thinking to myself, like, I don't think I've actually ever you know, spoken about the police, um, uh, not on my platforms. Like, I've reshared some things, um, especially um, over, uh, over the summer, but not actively spoken about the police. And it kind of brought me to the class that I took, uh, Policing in America, uh, with uh, Professor Ribeiro. Um, I think it was uh, my junior sim. And um, I kind of went back and looked at my essays to kind of get, you know, inspiration for this poem and kind of see what I wanted to talk about. And um, when it came to police, I'm just like you know, I'm a history major, so I'm just like origins, you know, where where has it started? Um, you know, I like to give people information that they um aren't given to them on a like just like on a regular day on a regular basis. Usually people say police will start at a certain time when actually it started like, you know, with uh, with enslavement. Um and after that I just kinda, you know, went into it. And usually like there's a little voice in my head that's kinda just like you know, I want to say rapping, like, or, or like, spitting poems, like, spitting lyrics, you know, and I'm just like, okay, that sounds good, and I'll write that down, um, yeah, but that was the thought process, just, like, literally looking at my old essays, and, um, kind of forming, like, how do I want to structure this, um, what story do I want to tell, or, you know, what, you know, what do I want people to know, it's just called police, you know, straight to the point, Adam Malka states, one cannot fully understand the mutually, constitutive relationship between ordinary white men and official police institutions without also concerning the association of black freedom with criminality. Police, police, police! Open the door right now! took you 400 years to even ask, even though we know your intentions. 400 years back, if you don't get it, pay attention. Came to the land of the free, home home of the brave. Policing started with the capture of kings and queens, who will later be turned into slaves. Not only capture the people, but their culture, identity, and ETC. Under the, practice, under the pretext of religion, you made us civilized and we were saved. God told you to obey your master, you will forever remain a slave. Before there was police, there were slave patrols. Gotta keep the enslaved enslaved. Create a system to, to benefit. Doesn't matter if you're young or old. Can't let nobody escape. Stay a slave in the land of the free, home of the brave." The true brave ones were the ones planning to escape, but white fear was imminent all across the state, started with the fear of growing numbers at an increasing rate. Through that, being controlled and an in- inevitable death would be our fate. Mid-1800s, policing our freedom and our civil rights, vagrancy laws, black codes, sunset towns, gave us an insignificant freedom whilst also taking our will to fight. The white community were policed, down to the children men and women, watchers, deceivers, sharers, snitches, Karens. It's a whole organized system. 1970, mass incarceration. Guess who were the police and who was in prison? It's not the American justice system, it's the American prison system. No justice, no peace, if we can't even be free. Black Panther Party versus KKK turned into Malcolm X versus MLK. Violence versus peace, when the real violent master was the police. Police freedom and the black diaspora intertwined FBI, CIA, the government invading little Africa's Guns and drugs, unhealthy markets and liquor destroying the black communities. Look at the figures. Look at the statistics, war on drugs, the war on black people. Where are we out now, modern day slavery? I'm just trying to tell you a history lesson, because hold on, I think police are at the door.
1: Can you explain the shift from slave patrols to policing and mass incarceration?
0: I think when it comes to policing, most people want to start it at the U.S. Um, but, you know, we have to kind of look at, you know, the white men. Um, and other individuals that were um, in Africa during that time. Like, what were they actually doing? They were capturing black people. And um, you can make comparisons to 2021, but that's the original standpoint. That's when it first originally happened, the capture of black people. And um, this can be done through uh, divide-and-conquer tactics, um, which we now see that are prominent in, you know, black communities. Um, this can be done through deceivement saying you're offering one thing and then uh, infiltrating the whole population. Um, and this can you know, be done through uh, being very forceful. Um, and a lot of people were forcefully taken, enslaved. Um, enslavement was not an easy process. It wasn't just like people just tagged along and uh, hopped on the boat. Uh, there were strategic measures, um, ways and uh, I think alterations in different situations to kind of capture slaves. And uh when we kind of go into slave patrols, um that was literally a, a new job market for white men um you could make money by um either uh capturing freed slave, uh capturing slaves that ran away and it was a unorganized uh title at that time like it was just like you basically just sign up and um i don't you know anybody could have been a a slave catcher or a slave patrol during that time, and especially you go to a plantation and you automatically granted a job and then now you kind of see the Social mobility and upwards mobility that you know the kind of the white community created for themselves, um, and that came off the discrimination, torture, rape of black people, of black individuals that were enslaved there and brought to America. And uh, most people don't really make those comparisons because you know this is like taking that uh, history course was the first time I even like oh wow it makes so much sense like um, why didn't I think of this before. I think most people need to understand that the slave patrols or the idea of policing or capturing came from fear of black people. You need some way to control fear, to keep it under control. And um, you want to take out a threat or, you know, make it uh, make the threat, you know, disabled to the point where, you know, you will feel uh, always superior. And um, I think one of the forms of doing this was uh, slavery. all throughout and all, you know, there were numerous tactics that are, are not in handbooks. Um, especially the use of slave patrols and um, slave codes. Um, so not only were you given a position in life, but you were given rights and laws to where you are basically invincible. Um, you have the right to kill a black person. You have the right to capture a black person. Um, you could do whatever you want, and there were laws that supported it during that time. Um, it was not a I don't want to say structured system, because anybody could could join, but it was a system that was benefiting um, a particular uh, community, which was, you know, white men during that time. And uh, when we come to the point of um, mass incarceration, I think it's the holding down of um, the black diaspora throughout time. There's always an original standpoint, you know, to things that happen in this present day or that are about to happen next. Um, And when it comes to mass incarceration, um, we kind of have to look out the trajectory of, you know, I think the emancipation, which was about uh, the mid-1850s. And uh, during that time, when black people were quote-unquote emancipated, um, all of a sudden, you know, to appease white southerners, there were vagrancy laws, black codes, and these were um, laws to prevent black people from owning land, like basically limiting their freedom, um, just to summarize it. And not only did it limit their land, but um, if you didn't have a job, you could go to jail. If you were just sitting around looking for a job, chilling, you could go to jail. Um, so imagine going to, job for, I mean, going to jail for chilling. Um, and imagine uh, going, to, going to jail because you can't have a job. And the thing is, the only jobs that were available during that time was conscripted labor. And that's basically new modern day slavery during that time. Yeah, um, there was the emancipation. But at the same time, um, you were just working for a little bit more money than we used to before. And at the same time, like, if you didn't want to work, you're going to jail. And um, it was an unfair system. So, like, the cards were definitely against um, the black population at that time. So majority of the people would, you know, go back to work, conscripted to labor. Um, and then that goes kind of into the family structure. Um, there wasn't like a single black parent, a single, you know, just a single family figure. Um, most families were stretched out between, you know, 10 to 15, 4 to 5, you know, very varying numbers. And we have to recognize that, you know, some, members, some family members were split um, while during, during the plantation, either sold to another family, sold to another plantation. So uh, a lot of people were, you know, going and trying to find their families and reconnect. And, you know, trying to provide uh, housing, trying to provide a stable living um, so they could adj- enjoy their newfound freedom. Um, but only to find out that they had to kind of go back to the masses that they served under new pretext. And then we kind of go more so into the civil rights movement where you try to make things right or you're trying to fight for your civil rights, you're going to jail. Um, when you are trying to make a difference, when, you know, you don't want to give up your seat to a white person on the bus, you're going to jail. Um, and throughout time, like, you could see how it became cognitive, black people in jail when they do something in jail. There wasn't like a formal process of um, talking to a black individual whenever um, they thought uh, they were doing something wrong. There was no conversation. It was, you know, before the school to prison pipeline, it was the, you know, just go to jail pipeline. There wasn't, you know, really anything. And um, just like back to my earlier point, it was you're standing around, you're going to jail. Um, and in this time, uh, if you're fighting for your rights, you're going to jail. Then, kind of just trying to follow the trajectory of history, um, I think it's just been normalized uh, for black people to go to jail. And uh, when you have the uh, same systems in power where your grand, great, 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 great grandfather was a slave patrol uh, or a slave capture or whatever, and then um, newfound police were, uh, were formed, um, majority of the population was white. You barred uh, black people from any educational, social, um, mobility. You have the same people running these systems over and over and over again, um, and then only, only up to a certain point where some people are trying to infiltrate the system and make it different. Um, you have laws to kind of go against them. You have uh, things that could put them in jail, and when you're in jail, you know, you really don't have no personal agency, no personal freedom. Um, your platform is taken away, um, and they, it's almost the right to get treated like a slave um you know under law so and uh when you have majority of the black population in jail compared to any other race it's i don't want to say it's wild because during that time that that was the normal situation i think and i think during this time um it's still it's still the normal situation um so that's kind of how like i just wanted to kind of follow the trajectory of like how policing um, kind of affects, you know, the systems that we have in place today.
1: I think that the movie 13th on Netflix perfectly explains the shift from slave patrols to policing and mass incarceration. And I agree with you. It seems as though whatever decade we are in, there are mass amounts of black women and men going through the prison system. For example, in today's America, the majority of black people are in prison for marijuana. When numerous states, I believe 18, including the District of Columbia, have legalized marijuana, yet black people are still in prison for something that is now legal.
0: I agree to that point. It's like when black people are thrown in jail, it's the minor offenses that shouldn't really be um, given a jail sentence. Let's look at the black communities. Uh, We could talk about the war on drugs, uh, because I think that kind of points out to that. And it's very hypocritical to have weed legalized for, I think, majority white farmers to kind of grow weed and not get in trouble for it and, you know, sell it out to whoever they're selling it to. Um, But the war on drugs, um, I think that was one of the main original start points to mass incarceration, where you think the problem is the drugs. You don't think the problem is poverty. You don't think the problem is, uh, you know, redesigned racism throughout the years. You don't think the problem is uh, racist cops that are in these black communities that are exploiting, um, so that are exploiting youth that, you know, I think poverty is easy to exploit. And I think throughout history, white people in any authoritative position uh, have taken that and kind of exploited that. And um, being in a cycle of... um, being in a cycle of poverty that, you know, you don't really feel like the need, you don't really feel like you can change anything. Um, and without any financial backing, without any uh, having that status within you, like you don't really feel like you can change anything. And I feel like this has been um, one of the main, I think, attributes to white police um, within the black community. Um, exploitation whether it's through, through drugs, through um, weapons uh, within the community, through infiltrating and uh, portraying the story as it is. Because back then, it's like whatever the white men said, it was true. And they didn't need that much information or that much evidence to really um, put people in jail. Um, and planning evidence was very something very normal during that time also, and I think till this day.
1: Recently, the critical race theory has become a part of the police reform discussion. The critical race theory is an examination of race as a social construct, and that racism is embedded in legal systems and policies. Should the critical race theory be a part of police training and reform?
0: Most definitely. Um, And I bring up the point, uh, just for example, just going back to... Policing in America, that's a class I didn't think, you know, that would even exist. And um, taking it, I just thought we were really just going to go over, like, the police departments and everything else. Um, But um, shout out to Professor Ribeiro for actually kind of going back to the original standpoint, like actually doing critical race theory to where we kind of pinpoint um, what other people have said said about it through history. Um, And, yeah, I think critical race theory should be a part of police training and reform. Um, because the systems that are in place or the lessons that they're being, that they're being taught, um, I think they just haven't been working as we have seen, um, um, deaths between, you know, the black diaspora, um, not only in America, but just around the world. And I think they need to understand, um, uh, I'm gonna double back on that, but I think, uh, America has never like actually confronted or like, um, talked about, you know, racial violence and, uh, most of the racial violence comes from the police. And I think, you know, if you're someone that's going to join the police um, in hopes of, you know, actually serving the communities um, that you're being placed in, um, you need to understand where what system you're joining because it is not, you know, a system that's new, you know what I'm saying? It is a historical white racialized system. And um, even if you're white, you need to understand that. So you can kind of understand um, how, I think, regular people, ordinary citizens kind of view the police department. Um, And I think if people don't want to learn, you know, about the system that they're going into, there shouldn't be the police at all. And I think the conversation is, like, who should be kind of leading those conversations, how they're going to be led. Um, But that's, you know, everything takes time. But at the same time, like, yeah, something has to change within that, Um, because either police got to stop killing Uh, Black people or the laws or educations that they have been getting haven't been really making a good effort into communities
1: One of the alternative theories about police form is that in a capitalist society Policing helps preserve wealth and existing class structure. The police are not crime fighters They are more so agents of control. Do you agree with this theory and do you think this theory explains why police reform and rehabilitation is a conservative topic in American society and politics?
0: I think it's the difference in the communities that the police are in. Um, when we talk about middle to high income communities, um, and I think through my own lived experiences, um, I usually don't see. I see patrolling, but I don't see policing. Um, you don't see people actively getting arrested. People. Um, getting bothered or anything of that sort, or they're, you know, rarely there. And then, um, for example, when you go into the projects or low-income communities, it's, um, you could also see police station like a mile away. Um, and for example, like, in the North Free Heights area, there's like a police station within the community. And, um, you know, those are like, you know, you wouldn't see that in a white neighborhood or middle to high-income um, neighborhood. When it talks about preserving the wealth and existing class structure. Um, The police that are sent out into the low-income communities are probably not the same police that are being sent to the middle-to-high-income communities. And um, I don't know if um, most of the listeners and viewers on here ever watched The Wire, but I think it's a realistic um, explanation and imagery on, like, on like policing uh, within communities where you have exploitation, where you have police um, maybe faking or uh, writing up reports that you know, didn't really happen. Um, you have uh, information or evidence being hidden, being planted, um, things of that sort. And you are most likely to get away with that with someone um, who, is in, who is within poverty or who has no personal agency. Um, And those are uh, between—those are the people in low-income communities or in predominantly black communities because you don't hear those type of arrests in the other communities. Um, And once—and going back to the uh, original points that we started, once, you know, you— Take away someone, you're taking something away from a family. Um, whether it's someone that's providing an integral part, but there's still going to be some type of effect, whether it's physical, financial, or mental. And when you have those contributing factors kind of going in cycles and cycles for generations and generations, how do you expect someone to kind of make it out? And uh, when you don't have the same thing happening to those communities, you know, you can see how they have an upward social mobility compared to the other community. Um, so I kind of see as that one way as preserving wealth um, because if you would have started doing the same thing over there and taking away financial contributors, families, uh, family members, or anything of that sort, no matter how big, how little the crime is, um, those communities probably wouldn't be longstanding or as they are.
1: Personally believe that policing does help preserve wealth and class structure. As previously stated, mass incarceration and policing is a version of modern day slavery and slave patrol. If you look at the statistics, police are more likely to watch or patrol low income and minority neighborhoods compared to wealthier or whiter neighborhoods. It seems as though they're there to keep everything in control and to keep everyone in place. It also shows a pattern of control and a pattern of attempting to preserve wealth and social class structure.
0: And I don't think there has ever been like a good relation between the black diaspora and police um we could go back to colonization um as france fanon would say um for the first to be the last and the last to be the first it can only happen through violence and um i think when people hear this they're like oh well, what do you mean violence oh you know uh, people try to do it through a peaceful way but um what france fanon would say was like how did the you know the first you know get to being, being the first through violence. Um, they committed violence on one group, um, kept them subjugated to a certain lifestyle, and, um, you know, they didn't do that by asking nicely. So why is it wrong for the other side to um, use violence to, you know, be first, to have, a, to have something that they've never had before? Um, and then I think to that point, um, when we talk about, like, resistance, um... I think it's a human right to be able to resist, especially if you're being forcibly um, handled or mistreated in a way that's not under guidelines of uh, whatever the, pre- the police laws are. Um, and when you try to use, uh, quote-unquote, violence back, back on against them, you are more so in the wrong. Um, but I think it's just, you know, what you were taught. Um, and um, that's coming from, you know, the person who, who has the authority. Um, But whatever they can do to us, we can't do to them.
1: And the question we've all been waiting for, should we defund the police?
0: I think yes. Um, But when it comes to defunding, um, I think there's like a more so, I don't see it as like, oh, just shutting down the whole police system. But um, it's just more so reorganizing, restructuring, um, Um, looking at the financial contributions or the financial standings that the police departments have and seeing how we could serve communities. Um, that are the need uh, seeing how we could um the programs, give scholarships, uh, things of that sort. Um, that's how you kind of defund the police, uh, or one of the ways to defund the police. Um, and I'm not sure how each borough or department how much you know money they have or what they're running on. Um, and but oftentimes you see a lot of bribery going on or a lot of controversy, uh, uh with police. So I know there's definitely money there, but, but um, also trying to figure out how to use the money not to give the police new, new enhanced weapons. It's more so like, how can we better help serve these communities so there's uh, not ongoing poverty that leads to crimes, uh, that leads to people doing things that, you know, they won't usually do if they were in good standing in society.
1: Whoa, things just got spicy. And that's all for this week's episode. I hope we've encouraged you to think deeper and to look at other perspectives. Thank you for tuning in. Be sure to follow us on Instagram at TJGSpicy. And if you would like to be a special guest on an upcoming episode, please feel free to email us at TJGSpicy at gmail.com. And that's a wrap. Stay curious and see you in two weeks.